Welcome everybody to the Nerdpool Podcast with the fat fool who loves Deadpool, your host, Jamie. The water's fine. Come on in. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Nerdpool Podcast. As always, I am your host, the fat fool that loves Deadpool. Yes, it's me, it's me, it's a J-M-I-E, your 1,978,651st favorite podcast host. And as always, your Sherpa down this road of nerdiness. And we are continuing Nerdpool-a-ween. Good Lord, I do not know if that name's actually going to work. I'm trying here, but I don't know if that's going to stick Today we are going to be talking about the Firefly Funhouse, and I am not talking about Bray Wyatt and the WWE. I am going to be talking actually about the Rob Zombie films that are connected that we didn't know we needed connecting, and they actually ended up connecting as it started with House of a Thousand Corpses, moving on to Devil's Rejects, and moving on to his release this year of Three from Hell, which I just watched. Now, these films rotate around a... A specific family of murderous cannibal psychopaths. In the very first movie, The House of a Thousand Corpses, we get introduced to the Firefly family of Baby, Tiny, Rufus, Grandpa, uh, Otis, Mother Firefly, and Rufus, who we kind of see was the patriarch, but we only see him in one movie, and he only was there for a small part, looking like a knockoff My Bloody Valentine with your ugly ass. As he is the guardian for Dr. Satan. House of a Thousand Corpses was the movie that Rob Zombie made. It was his first film. He wanted to take it back to that original gore fest that it was. And he succeeded. So much so that the movie producing studio that actually made the movie put up the money for it at first said, screw this, we are not putting this out. This is too violent, this is too gory. You're a nut job, get this shit out of our way. That's, I mean, I'm paraphrasing pretty much, but I'm pretty sure that's where they thought. Because they put up the movie, they let them film at Universal Studios in the back lot, and they legitimately, this movie was over the top, it was satanic, it was gory, it didn't have a thousand corpses, but it had a bunch of corpses. The story was kind of convoluted, but it brought you back to a time of gore and kind of grindhouse type films. We see a family, or excuse me, a group of people led by Rain Wilson, who you might know as Dwight Schrute, and a local boy here from where I'm at, uh, a little a little known comedian and actor. I mean, I don't know if you heard of him, but uh, Chris Hardwick. Yes, fat Chris Hardwick is in this. Them, them and their girlfriends are on a road trip to find the backwoods weird shit you see on a trip across the United States, they don't want to hit, you know, the big stuff, the 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 Grand Canyon thing, they want to hit the backwoods type type stuff, the stuff you don't see, and that leads them to Captain Spaulding's Gas and Fried Chicken, Captain Spaulding, of course, played by the late, great Sid Haig, and one of his, probably the, the role he's going to be known for, for the rest of his life, Captain Spaulding has become a horror icon to the point to where people buy the shirts and 
still wear them. They dress like him for Comic-Con. He is a huge part of the horror movie genre, the horror culture. Sid Haig, you will be missed because this role was, it seemed like it was tailor-made for you. He's the wisecracking, very dirty, very foul-mouthed, murderous crown. The first time we see him is them talking about sticking a a, a G.I. Joe up somebody's butt and them making, you know, dirty jokes about having sex. Two guys come in to rob him, and we see Captain Spaulding as he's cussing the robber for trying to rob him. We see him blow his brains out and then mop it up like it wasn't nothing. This is, a, this is the theme for Captain Spaulding. As the kids pull up and they're wondering, they take the murder ride. He's gotten back. His murder ride is basically showing a bunch of different serial killers and the local legend from the town of Ruggsville, Texas, which was Dr. Satan, uh, a.k.a. Quentin S. Quayle. He worked at a mental hospital and was trying to create a race of superhumans by working on the mentally ill patients. They took him out when they found him. The townspeople took him out. They hung him on a tree. They come back the next day, and he's not there. And it was just a local legend that grew and grew and grew. He sends him up a road as they want to go see it. He tries to talk him out of it. And then he's going to send him up to a, quote-unquote, just the tree where he was hung at, which we he, he says was, you know, just sending him up to a tree on an old farm road. He didn't think it was going to hurt nothing. It was going to help his business. This is where they encounter Baby. Firefly, played by Rob Zombie's wife and provincial hottie, Sherry Moon Zombie. She's a attractive, goofy nut job, which picking her up, you should know she's kind of crazy. This is when you get to meet all of her family, all of the, the goons, like I said, Grandpa and everybody. And they spend the night at Halloween there. And they find out that this House of Horrors is actually legitimately a House of Horrors. As they are knocked out, they are kept. Uh, Chris Hardwick gets scalped. Rain Wilson gets sewn to a fish monkey type thing. And he becomes Fish Boy. The girls are tortured. All the while, we have a retired police officer, father of one of the girls, trying to find his daughter. The police go to try to find them. They are subsequently killed by the Firefly family. He goes to try to find he goes to try to find the daughter himself. He gets kidnapped. He gets his face cut off. Otis ends up putting the face on to do a weird scene of making out with his daughter. They go on a ritualistic night, I guess, to sacrifice him, send him down into a pit. And there's some creepy music, something about burn me in the nameless grave, bury me in the nameless grave. It's just we're playing on loop and loop. They get put down there. People tear their coffin apart that they're in. And as they go through this labyrinth of just dark torture and, and water and, and grit and grime and greasy, grimy grofer guts, they've come upon a waiting room for Dr. Satan as he is still performing actual actual inhuman acts upon the mentally ill, messing with their brain to try to create superhumans. Rufus is there with an axe, and he is following, and he ends up chasing one of the girls, ends up collapsing the House of a Thousand Corpses, and the bug, and you know, the, the bunker that they're in. The girl escapes, Captain Spaulding finds her in his oh-so-great pink Cadillac, puts her in, says he's going to take her to get help, 
Otis pops up out of the back, and this movie ends. The movie is gory, the movie is over the top, the movie is creepy, and if you're a horror fan, it's one of them must-haves, because it's it's something that you don't get nowadays. It's something that, that is rarely seen, where it's just off the wall, there's something about a skunk ape that got taken out, but they left parts of it in. Like, the movie is just batshit insane crazy, and if you're a horror fan, it's one of the must-haves and must-sees, because Rob Zombie's mind works for this twisted kind of tale. Moving on next, we ended up, it was in 2007, I believe, that we got The Devil's Rejects, and it was, at first, I didn't know it was a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. I don't think anybody really did, because in the trailers, I don't remember them actually ever kind of connecting it. It was just... The three characters, you had Sherry Moon Zombie, you had Bill Mosley, and you had Sid Haig. We didn't really know the characters, and then come to find out, this movie takes place after the events of House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, police storm the house in Ruggsville, which is now a completely different house because they didn't let him shoot on the back lot anymore, so it's a more of a farm-style ranch dwelling instead of a just creepy colonial look. The house from the original one isn't colonial. It's just, it was funny to say. Just give me a break for all you people out there, okay? And the police storm it, and William Forsyth is the police officer, and he just opened fires on the fucking house. It starts with a bloody shootout. They're shooting machine guns and shotguns and pistols, and the Firefly family is just returning fire, boom, 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 Otis and Baby get away, that's pretty much all we think, Mother Firefly gets caught, Rufus gets shot and killed, Grandpa, we don't know what the hell happened to Grandpa, Dr. Satan, we never see, but there's a deleted scene where he gets taken from the bunker and ends up ripping Rosario Dawson's throat out as she's a nurse, that never made it into the film, the this movie is his best shot movie. This is probably the best movie Rob Zombie's ever did. Uh, it was the most critically acclaimed. It was well-written, well-received. It was intense, but it wasn't completely gory as the first one is. This was kind of a, a turnaround from what it was. It was more psychological torture and just seeing how psychotic this family is. We find out that Captain Spaulding, who in the first one you didn't know if he was part of it or not, we find out Captain Spaulding is actually the father of baby firefly sherry moon zombie's character apparently mama zombie or excuse me not mama zombie mama firefly got around a little bit and she kind of enjoyed them clowns you know <laughs> yeah she liked to giggle a little bit you know what i'm saying so we find that out the house has been compromised and because spalding is going to actually know they're going to find out his connection he runs to these three meet up and they go on a road trip of torture and terror, basically trying to escape the law. This is where we find out that all of the aliases that they're using, Otis Driftwood, um, Baby Firefly, the Firefly in general, Captain Spaulding, were all Groucho characters, you know, Groucho Marx characters, and it, it, it was a interesting turn. Uh, Rob Zombie is a Groucho Marx fan, apparently, and... I didn't know this. I'm not a Groucho guy. I didn't know who Captain Spaulding was. I didn't know Otis Driftwood. I didn't know these names were connected. Apparently, they all actually are. And it was a weird little take. It was something different because you never you never really saw that coming. You thought it was just giving these people weird-ass names. Apparently, this is where 
they, they they got it from and they all took aliases. So we don't know if this was actually their real names or if they were just all really, really into Groucho Marx. But this film involves them going across country, like I said. They uh, steal a car by killing a house ner- or house cleaner or whatever. Uh, baby's laying on the ground. The woman pulls over because she sees her. She goes to help her and Otis stabs her repeatedly as the Almond Brothers play in the background. You got to find me silver dollar. I just butchered them lyrics. I apologize to the Almond Brothers, you know, but uh, much love, much love, guys. The the big part of it is we see them basically go to a hotel. This is where we see a group of traveling rodeo stars, traveling musicians, Banjo and Sullivan, uh, stopping at the same hotel. Um, you have two men and their wives, and you have their groupie slash roadie. Yes, I said groupie, because I don't know what they were doing. But you have their roadie, played by Brian Posehn, who's a huge horror nut, big fan of Rob Zombie, and he gets put into this. And they end up torturing and killing, and this is where it takes that intense turn as they're in the hotel room. And Bill Mosley's character, Otis Driftwood, is basically toying with the woman claiming he's going to rape her and all this other stuff. And he makes her say some lines that really, I mean, it's not like, they're not terrible, but I don't like repeating them. Like, it's a very intense scene, and it's very provocative. It's very, I wish I could use a word besides very. Uh, it, it, it's over the top, and it's, a, it's just an intense, intense scene. It's probably the most intense scene of the film, and this is the part where you realize that they're not just, like, out for blood and to eat people. This is, legitimately, they are psychopaths. Legitimately, this is fun for them. It's torturous, and this is what they're into. They end up killing everybody in this group. They're on the run again. We find out William Forsythe's character is actually the brother of the police officer that was killed in the first movie. And for that, he's looking for revenge against the Fireflies. He hires two bounty hunters, played by Danny Trejo and Diamond Dallas Page, to track these guys down. They head to a little uh, whore town. And I say whore town because the entire town is run by a pimp who is the half-brother of Oda, or excuse me, of Captain Spaulding, who is called by Cutter this entire time by Otis Driftwood. So I don't know if that's his name or just because he likes to cut people. We will probably never know that. But as, as it goes in, they go to this town. The guys show up. Um, and all hell ensues. We see there's drug use. We see that there's there's guns. There's stabbing. There's hookers. There's women having sex with belly buttons. That's an outtake. You have to see it. It's hilarious. With uh, Otis Driftwood and Bill Mosley saying, you're, hump- you're fucking my belly button. It's hilarious. We get all that done. The William Forsythe's character brings them back to the Firefly house. Ties them up. And is torturing them. He nails their hands down into the table. And he's going to burn them alive. They're cussing him the whole time. As he sets the place on fire. Captain Spaulding and Otis are knocked out. Baby is. He lets Baby go. And has her basically run. Like he's hunting her. He's got a shotgun. He's going to hunt her. She's running. 
And this is when we see the return of somebody that I actually forgot. I don't know if I mentioned in the first one was Tiny, played by the late great Matthew McGorry, who was a he was in a bunch of things, and you probably didn't know it because he was seven plus feet tall. He was deformed because of his giantism. He was a gentle-hearted person. Apparently, he dies shortly after the making of this film. This would be his last film, and. He plays Tiny, the guy who was burned alive as a child at the house from the first one, and now wears a mask, walks around. He's he's giant, so that's the whole premise of it, you know, Tiny being giant. He grabs William Forsythe's character, and he snaps his neck. He's going to let baby... He goes and saves Otis, and he saves Captain Spaulding. As they're going to drive away... She tries to say, what are you going to do? And he just walks back into the burning house, never to be seen again. Apparently, he just said, screw it, I want to be with the fire. I don't know. They drive away, and in one of the classic ending sequences of a movie, one of the classic, classic ending sequences of a movie, as Freebird starts to play, as the three are driving away, they've been beaten, they've been, you know, tortured, they're, sleep, they're sleepy, they're, they're dirty. There's a... On a mountain road, there is just a line of police officers waiting with their guns drawn. They stop, they see them, hand each other the guns, and they drive towards the police, firing as the police shoot them, and you just see bullets ridden as the guitar solo from Freebird goes. It is actually a very, very great ending to this film. It is a magnificent ending because that just the music and the visuals was just awe-inspiring. And we thought this was the end of it. Like, like they just went through a barrage of bullets. This was a, a fitting in, the perfect end to the Firefly family, to the story. You know, we th- it was going to be two movies. And then Rob Zombie wanted to make it a trilogy. So this year he released Three from Hell. The follow-up, the, the much-anticipated follow-up when it was announced to The Devil's Rejects. In this, the family, Captain Spaulding, Otis, and Baby, have survived the shots with a billion to one odds, they have actually survived. They're on death row. They have been committed of their crimes in the Manson family-esque type thing. We have people saying that they didn't do it. People are in love with Baby, you know, saying how hot she was. Their women are saying that they know he did bad things, but but they would date Otis. Like, this is how this is how society is. It's crazy. The, and another thing, these... It, it's just... It's batshit how, how people are for this, but that's how it really was. And and really is. So this the weird thing about this is this film seems like this one's set in a different time period. It, it seems like these films are set in like the eighties, or this film is set seems like set in the eighties or seventies. But the rest of them wasn't. The first one definitely wasn't. So I I don't know how it goes. I don't know if this was supposed to be set in period pieces or not. I mean they kind of look like it at times, but kind of don't. Anyway, we're just we're moving on. Um, Captain Spaulding has one scene. Sid Haig was in bad health. He, he got to do this. He did one scene where he did an interview before, you know, on, from death row. And just, he didn't look good, but he still performed that character. And the, the tone and the, the phrasing he used was just great. And it's sad that he didn't, that we didn't get this before. You know, when he when he was sick, when he could actually done this and done justice, been a big part of this movie. He's in the movie for maybe three minutes, 
and then after the entire interview, they find out that he was executed, you know, given his last rites, and was put to death by the death penalty. The only thing was, he said that uh, he loved his family and his friends, that was his final words, and really, I mean, I know that, that that's fitting, because that's Sid Haig, I think that might have been Rob Zombie saying, you know, that he knew Sid wasn't in good health, and he was like, this is the last words that he was going to say. He knew what Sid wanted to say. Or maybe he even asked Sid, you know, if you had your last words, what would you say? But it just didn't fit that character. You know, I was expecting him to say, you know, don't you like clowns or, or you know, fuck you or something. I was just expecting something. And, and, and it just, it didn't go that route. Uh, we find out Otis is on death row and he does his great, you know, boogeyman's type speeches. They go, for some reason, on death row, you go to do manual labor, and he's put in the same group as Danny Trejo's character from the second one. Danny Trejo doesn't recognize him. I don't know how Danny Trejo wouldn't with all this has happened. I mean, it's supposed to be 10 years since, so, I mean, it's possible. But, you know, as high profile as it was and everything, you thought he might have remembered it. Um, as he's going through, this is there's a documentary filming all this. We don't see how he escapes. The only thing we see is he has a half-brother named the Midnight Wolf, played by Richard Brake, who ends up springing him, and they killed all the guards, killed all the inmates, killed you know the, the cameramen, and the last thing we see is him holding Danny Trejo, and Danny Trejo says, who are you? And he says, you should remember, and he shoots him in the head. So Danny Trejo's character, who was a badass in the second one, kind of goes out like a bitch in this one. And and, and and it was short. They had to put a setup for down the line in the movie. But I was like, damn, you know, like I wanted to see a little bit, like maybe him battling or something. Anyway, the Midnight Wolf, who has a fucking name, and Richard Brake and Otis go, and they, they've, you know, they killed a few people, and they get run up on by a group. Oh, yeah, by, by spoilers for this film. They get run up on by a couple who's out hunting. You know, they find them. And Richard Brake, they find Richard Brake's character. And they're holding him. They're like, they're going to call the police because they're worth more to him alive than dead. He starts talking about his wife's titties and something like that. And just distract him long enough for Otis to blow their brains out. Otis cuts the woman's face off, hangs it from a tree. I mean, so right off the bat, we're showing that this is, they're still batshit crazy. They're still insane. This is still violent. But it's a little different. They're trying to get baby out. Baby has lost her mind in this. She is just bat crazy insane. Like the first two, you know she's nuts. She might have the mind of a kid. This one, she's lost it. I mean, she's she's a badass but she's lost it. In prison, there's a one guard who she headbutts after a parole meeting, breaks her nose. The guard's trying to get her killed. She takes her handcuffed, puts her in a, you know, in a basement dwelling, uh, releases two of the big convicts to try to kill her. Baby ends up slashing both of them, gutting them right then and there. The woman's just like, the whole time is just trying to get that baby, and baby's just mind-fucking her. I'm, uh, language in this. I know, guys. Language. God, this is a family show. What is wrong with me? They, Otis and Brake go to the warden's house to 
basically find a way to spring their sister. They come up with this convoluted plan of the warden that while they hold the warden's wife and one of the parolee, parole hearing officers, and his wife, they he's going to go. He's going to get baby in. He's going to put her in a guard uniform and he's going to walk out the front door and bring her to him. But you have to know that I, I, this is where the stuff like this doesn't make sense because. A, he could have just went in, called the police, said, hey, they're at my house. You know, because you know that they're not going to let you go. They're not going to let you go, guy. You know this. They're nut jobs. They're psychos. You've seen what they've done. They're not going to let you go. He gets baby out. We find out he does a lot of cocaine. He cheats on his wife with the guards. They go to the house, and all hell breaks loose. Um, he gets killed. Everybody's killed. They cut his wife's throat. The... There's a clown that shows up the night before. I forgot about that, which was kind of poetic. Maybe an homage. They tell the clown if he can make him laugh, that he can go. He tries everything, doesn't make him laugh. As Otis is going to shoot him, he pees himself. Otis laughs. He says, you're right. The guy goes, so can I go? Played by Clint Howard. Otis says, yep, straight to clown heaven. Shoots him dead in the face. They've killed this entire thing. Uh, one of the girls that they're holding hostage runs Baby follows her with a huge hunting knife, gets her in the yard and kills her, guts her, stabs her to death, while Grandma, this old woman across the street, is sitting at a lawn chair watching it. They wave at each other. Baby goes inside, says, you know, a woman just saw me gutter. We might need to leave. Before the police come, you hear sirens. They take off. The whole time, they're trying to figure out what to do. They're going here. They're going there. They go to a hotel. Baby loses it. Baby kills people. Because she's been locked up and she wanted some fun. They go to Mexico. And this is, again, where it gets batshit fucking crazy. They check into a hotel. Uh, the guy running the hotel is an American inbred hillbilly hick who's trying to get out of Mexico. He calls a cartel leader of uh, the, the, the Black Devils. Car, he's a cartel leader, gang leader. I don't know really know what he is. He's the son of Danny Trejo's character. Says he found him. He knows where the three are. He's going to give him ten. So the guy's going to give him ten grand to leave. He goes there. They show up in Lucha Libre mask. Um, there's a there's a little person that is helping run the hotel. Baby is being nice to him, and it's the first person to be nice to him. They show up. He tells her who they are. They go in, and she's killing people with bows and arrows, there's machine guns, there's shotguns. It's crazy. This film is weird. This film is not as good as Devil's Rejects. It's not as gory as House of a Thousand Corpses. They end up killing all the cartel members somehow, because they're legit badasses, I guess, the Fireflies. And they burn him alive. In a, in a kind of a weird scene to where they're sitting there and Otis is like, I want to see him break, I want to see him break. And they keep saying, well, that was that it? Was that it? And then you kind of, yeah, I see what he's talking about. You kind of see what he realizes, I'm done. Like, there's nothing I can do. They burn him alive and they walk off. And that's the end of the film. It's So we could get a fourth one. It's kind of, th this film wasn't as good as the rest of them. It's not bad necessarily. It's just, you can tell the budget wasn't as big on Devil, as it was on Devil's Rejects. You didn't have the same equipment. Some of the characters that were bigger names, like Danny Trail and them, they kind of just glossed through to kind of progress a story. But I kind of wish we'd have got something more. I don't know. The film's not bad. All in all, the, the Firefly family, I think, will go down 
in horror as one of those iconic families with the with you know up there with the Sawyers. If you want to get you know from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Voorheeses, just these family these these characters that are just iconic. And mainly, it's going to be Otis, Baby, and Captain Spaulding. These three characters are in the lexicon of horror are just they're pioneers. They're they're some of the last greats played by some you know people. Uh, Bill Mosley has been in horror films forever. He was in Texas Chainsaw 2 as he played Chop Top. Sid Haig has been around forever playing in different horror films, playing in black exploitation films. Sherry Moon Zombie's basically been in what Rob Zombie's put her in, but she's a, she's a good actress and she's always played the roles that she's given very well. And these three iconic characters are going to go down in history of horror as, you know, being They'll be up there with the big names. They'll be talked about because they they bring that, while it might not be supernatural, you know, killings, they're not killing people in their sleep, they're not, you know, demons or dead people that keep coming back or a nonverbal, just walking death machine like Michael Myers. It's a rebellious, not anti-American, but anti-government type family. Captain Spaulding is, again, the wisecracking joke, joking clown who sold fried chicken, sold gasoline, sold ride, you know, tickets on a murder ride he built himself, had just goofy stuff in his gas station and was going to run for, for president, you know, Captain Spaulding for president. Baby was just a girl who loved cinema. She loved old films. She was brought up in a fucked up family and by messed up people and it never really got out of that, that little girl's phase. And Otis, again, Otis is just the guy who's anti-government. He, he thinks his own way. and He thinks everything he's doing, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. He thinks he's just living the life he was dealt and the world he was given. And it, it's it's poetic, the, the way the films are. Every film in this series is different. Every one of them is different, and they're all connected. And it's a big feat to be able to do completely separate films. You do a gore-fest grindhouse type film you do an oscar worthy psychological thriller and a descent into what psychos really are and then the third one is just a return to it and it's not as bad i don't really know really know what the third one would be because it's not really horror he's got great acting all the acting's did great richard Brake's a great actor it's just this didn't i don't know it just, it just didn't have that same heart to it i don't know what i was expecting but with a name like Three from Hell, you was I was expecting a little bit more. However, the Firefly family, in turn, in closing, will be remembered. Captain Spaulding's iconic, R.P. Sighaig, Bill Mosley will be remembered as Otis Driftwood. Chop Top and Otis Driftwood is going to be Bill Mosley's epithet. That's going to be what everybody remembers of that. And baby, Cherry Moon Zombie is just the hottie who's always nuts. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for liking, sharing, and subscribing. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell anybody you want to tell a stranger on the street. Follow me on Twitter at NerdPoolPod. Follow me on Instagram at NerdPoolPodcast. Follow me on Twitch at NerdPoolGaming. Again, you guys are amazing to me. And I, I just can't thank you enough for everything that you do. So that's NerdPool. And for Nerd Pool-a-ween, you look, I know I'm trying here, okay? So until next time, let's get spooky and see ya!
Yeah, I'm eating the hurtful pie now. Only boy.